0: Would you please take a moment in your own heart to pray for the Lord's help? For me and for you, it is the Lord's day and he is in our midst. If you're at home this morning, I would like to say hello and welcome. Many of you are at home watching because you are not well enough to be with us. Uh, We miss you and uh, wish you back with us. Uh, The Lord be with you. John 8 verse 47 says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. I'm going to push a question with you this morning over and over, possibly to the point of annoying you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And my question is this, what has your attention most in this world? Attention equals Influence. Whoever hears, whoever is of God, hears the word of God. The point of the series that is called One Fear is the idea that there is just one fear to rule all fears. The Bible never tells us to be without any kind of fear, It tells us to be without fear for the things that we shouldn't be afraid of. But it tells us to fear God. So that's where the idea of of one fear comes from. And what I wanna say this morning is that to fear God means to listen to him. To fear God means that God has our attention more than anything else in the world. What has your attention? Whoever's of God hears the words of God. One fear is in contrast to no fear, but it is also in contrast to many fears. And the boast of one fear seems a little bit ironic to me. That, you know, they'll say, no, it, it, you make, it seems you protest too much. No fear. When the reality is we're riddled with fear if we were honest and transparent which is one of our greatest fears, honesty and transparency. Let me give an example of one fear, as opposed to no fear or many fears. In the book of Numbers, 12 spies were sent into the Promised Land to discover the land that God had promised by his words to give to his people. And what the spies discovered in the Promised Land was something fearful something fearsome, something that got their attention. Strong people, large people. And so when the spies came back, two of them urged the people to hear God's voice, let God's voice have our attention more than the strength of those people. And they were people not without any kind of fear. They were people with one fear, And the other 10 spies were people who still had many fears. And the one fear had not yet come to rule the many fears. And that's the idea of having just one fear, to rule all fears. Those who belong to me hear the words of God. The question that Jesus asks is, have I got your attention in the world in which you live? What has your attention more than me? If something else has your attention more than me, then you fear them more than you fear me. This week and next week, I wish to expound further this idea of one fear. And I want to walk us back into simply talking about one of the most simple But yet, those simple, most profound realities that God is real. And that God who is real is a God who speaks. The God who is real is a God with a voice, who has words. And that is such a a simple thing to say. But I urge you to stop for a moment and consider the profoundness of it that God is not like an idol and what I mean by idol define the word idol is something that has undue influence over us. something that we pay attention to something that we give regard to something that we look to for our safety something that we look to for our security something that we look to for our identity but wrongly because it can't provide those things God is not like an idol. Unlike an idol that is mute, God has a voice. God speaks. Unlike an idol that is deaf, it has no ears. God hears. He speaks and he hears. (laughs) And so to fear God, to have one fear instead of many fears, to fear God is to listen to the God who speaks and to speak to the God who listens. That's prayer, that's next week. We're gonna talk about fearing God by speaking to the God who listens. God isn't an idol, he, he has ears. And we, we fear God by speaking to the God who has ears. But this week I'm focusing on this other one subject of God's distinction from an idol who has no voice, has no mouth, has no speech, that God is not like an idol. He has words. And to fear God is to listen to the God who speaks and to speak to the God who listens. God has words. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. When Israel discovered in the wilderness that this living God was not like an idol, that he had words, it was both a great shock as well as a great mercy. It was a great shock because they were already well familiar with the idols of the world. In fact, they had made their own idols. They were golden calves where Aaron says, all the people gave me all of their gold and these calves came out. And they worshipped them and attributed to those calves their deliverance out of Egypt. And the convenient thing about those, those calves, those golden things, is that they were mute. They had no words. They commanded no respect. And so they could do whatever they wanted. And it says, so they rose up and played. Imagine the shock when the voice of God gave words that made the very ground shake. Moses recounts the story for them in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, remember, on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God, at Horeb, and the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words. So There's a a hint of the mercy there already, isn't there? that they would be, that I would let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth. To fear God means to listen to God. Later on in the same chapter, Moses says, did, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? <laughs> You live through it. That's how, that's how much of a shock, though, it was to the, the distinction, the reality that God is not an idol. God speaks. But not only a shock, but more importantly than that, a great mercy. Because the words of God given to them, the voice of God that they heard, Would deliver them from and lift from them the heavy burdens that idols put on people. Jeremiah 10, as was read earlier, don't be afraid of them. They can't do anything to you. But, Jeremiah says, the worship of idols in the nations, it says, their customs are vanity. So idols don't have words, but they have customs. They have practices. And those practices, those customs of idols had two great marks. The marks literally on their bodies, one of them was self-harm, remember? Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets and all that, that they would do to try to get their God to pay attention to them, marking themselves up and cutting themselves. There's, a, there's a, a very interesting, rather obscure part of God's law in, in Deuteronomy, um, Leviticus chapter 20, where God says, your priests shall not have bald spots. <laughs> your priests shall not cut the fringes of their beard. You know what? God wanted no association with the worship of the living God and the worship of idols. And the worship of idols always brought self harm. I've been reading through the book of Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles 33, a king comes to the throne. His name is Manasseh, one of the descendants of David. And his father was a godly father who followed the Lord in all things. And Manasseh was an ungodly leader who worshipped idols. And within that one generation, it says this about Manasseh. And he sacrificed his sons to the god Moloch. That was the customs. That was the practice of Idol worship. That was the burden that God was lifting from his people by saying, don't fear them. Don't be afraid of them. Fear me. The other mark of, idolship, of worshiping idols is exhaustion. And sorry if that deeply convicts you this morning. <laughs> exhaustion, they wear themselves out. The things that people rely on, the things that that people depend upon. You know what? The idols of old and the idols of the world today haven't changed. They're full of self-harm and they're full of exhaustion because they're never appeased. They're never satisfied. There's never an end to their demands. There's never peace. the voice of God and the words of God are so incredibly different. Imagine lifting the burden of that constant demand for appeasement with a voice that says, I am appeased through my own works, not through your works. So it was a shock and a mercy. Really, what we need to be delivered from in our fears is it's not, it's not my fear of heights. It's a total joke. (laughs) It's not my fear of spiders. You can live with those fears without conviction, without embarrassment. The real fears that I need to be delivered from are my fears of insignificance, my fear of rejection, my fear of failure my fear of want and need, my fear of being loved, my fear of rejection, Mm, you name it. Those are the fears that we need deliverance from. And what was true of idol worship then is true of idol worship today. The things that we depend upon, the things that we give of undue respect to, the things that have our attention are full of self-harm and exhaustion. If you look at despair in our country, suicide, anxiety, and exhaustion itself, the industry to simply deal with the symptoms of our idol worship is huge. I read recently statistics on youth mental health. And in our culture today, in our customs, The result is that the vast majority of our youth today think about death multiple times a day. We live in a culture of death and a culture of exhaustion. It is a great mercy that God speaks to lift the burden of fearing false things. And when we fear God by listening to him, it's a path of safety. It's a path of peace. Those who belong to me know my words. Listen to my words. And so this is the main point. Again, to fear God means to listen to him. To fear God means to pay attention to God above all else. Do you ever fear that God has too much influence over you? Do you ever fear that you could give too much attention to God and his word? (laughs) I think the fear of God is for that fear to go away, for that concern to go away, that, that God could ever possibly influence me too much, that his words could ever have too much of my attention. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Does God have your attention? Eugene Peterson, a late deceased pastor, said something helpful that I've read recently. He says, the role of a a pastor is not to be the center of attention, but is to see that God is the center of attention. Does God have our attention? It's easy to believe in things and yet it doesn't really have our attention. I believe in oxygen, but it, it doesn't always have my attention until I, until I exercise so hard that I, I can't breathe. And all of a sudden, I want oxygen. It's got my attention. I don't think about gravity a lot unless I'm in an airplane. Then gravity's got my attention. I think about it a lot. But it's the same with God. Oh, I believe in God. Absolutely, I believe in God. does God have our attention? I hope that in all of the adversity that we faced as God's people in these last few years, that the mercy of it, the grace of it, would be that God has our attention. I'm thinking about those verses in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul is told by the Lord, in your weakness, my strength is, is made complete. I become strong in your weakness. And you think, well, why is that? God is always strong. God never becomes stronger. Well, I think it's because in our weakness, God gets our attention. God becomes strong because he becomes the focus of our attention. And I hope that in the midst of of our world today, that we would understand the perplexity of heaven, looking on the inhabitants of the earth, just ask the question, who would not fear the Lord God Almighty? Those words from Revelation 10 that were read earlier are repeated in Revelation chapter 15. In case you just think this is an Old Testament concept, that last book of the Bible that people search and look, well, what's gonna happen in the end days? And, And the question that resounds there from heaven to the inhabitants of the earth in chapter 15 in the Song of the Lamb is this question from heaven reverberating to the inhabitants of the earth, who will not fear the Lord God Almighty? And you can just sense the, the, the perplexity in that question of those that are closest to God asking the inhabitants of the earth that question. And of course, the, book, the beginning of the book of Revelation, the emphasis on the fact that, that that voice, that word dwells in the midst of his people and the vision that John is giving, saying, I was on the Lord's day and I heard a voice, Speaking to me. Imagine the shock. (laughs) Imagine the mercy. And he comforts the church and an emphasis on the fact that that in all of the vision that is given of of, of what John sees, where he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking. And everything that is said about what John says is said to emphasize the, the, the sword coming out of the mouth. Everything else that is said to emphasize. The significance of the fact that the churches had in their midst the voice of God, the speaking God, the Lord who was speaking to them. What a great shock, what a great, what a great mercy. But this is our identity as God's people. You know, it is it's so easy for our religion to be externalized, to be ritualized, to be habitualized, to be institutionalized, but this is, this is our religion. God has words, we listen. What, is it, what does God talk about? So let's say God has our attention. <laughs> let's say we agree with heaven that it would make sense for the inhabitants of the earth to fear the Lord God Almighty by listening to him. What does God say? I've put the answer to that question in in three more questions than trying to answer it, that I believe are fundamental to fearing God by listening to him. These are the three questions that I think we need to constantly be asking. The first one is this, and this first question rules all of them. That's why I put one above the other two. God is always in his voice, giving the answer to this question. What are you like, God? How would you answer that question? It'd be fun to stop and have a conversation right now, wouldn't it? What are you like, God? And what have you made, God? Which continues to answer the question, of what are you like? God speaks about what he has made in order to continue to answer the question, what am I like? And then the third question, Lord, what have you done? Speaking of redemption, all that God does in the history of sin and mankind and rebellion and misery and the burdens of idols, what what have you done? Speaking so much about what he has done, particularly in preparing for Christ and revealing Christ. If If you're reading the Old Testament, you're always reading the answer to this question. How are you preparing for Jesus? Lord and if you're reading the New Testament you're always answering this question how have you revealed Jesus to us but in all of those questions in all of the revelation in the preparation and the revealing of Jesus God is still answering the same question what am I like what do you like Lord I was raised in the church, and I have many things to thank the Lord for that. But I was also raised, and to the fault of no one but myself, probably because I wasn't paying attention, I had many misconceptions, particularly about the Word of God and about God himself. And there's something that that I have utmost concern for as a pastor in the midst of God's people, is that people have similar misconceptions about the voice of God, about the word of God, and how to read the Bible. And one of the misperceptions that I had about God's word, about God speaking, I grew up with the idea that the, the, base, the most basic question about God's voice was this question, what, sh- what should I do? What does God want me to do? It was all about law for me, it was, it was all about commands. And God had no end of it. What do you want me to do, God? And it completely changed my perspective on hearing God's voice when I realized that it wasn't all about me. It was about God. And I wasn't reading all the time to answer the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? I was reading to answer the question, Lord, what are you like? And by answering that first question, I got the answer to the second question. (laughs) I want you to adore me. I want you to love me with all your heart. But it completely changed my world when I realized that God's voice wasn't for me. It was... it wasn't about me. It was for me. It's for us. God speaks for us. But in order to make his voice for us, he speaks about him. And his voice becomes most for us when we most understand it to be about him. The most fundamental question of listening to God is, I believe, the answer to that question, what are you like? And the answer, of course, that he is glorious. He is beautiful beyond description. That's why Moses in Exodus chapter 33 had the right request of God. Lord, would you please, would you show me your glory? May I see it? That question, that request honors God. It's why 2 Peter 1:3 says this that everything that we need for life and godliness. They say, so that's the question of Lord, what am I do, what am I all about? What am I going to be about in this world? Life and godliness. Everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us through the knowledge of him. Through the answer to the question, what are you like, Lord? It means then to fear God is to pay attention to what God says about himself. To fear God is to accept what God says about himself. You see, that, that's another misperception that, that I had about God's voice and I had to overcome in my life and to, to submit to the voice of God when God says, this is who I am. Because I had, I had lots in my head about what I thought God was like. In fact, I had lots in my head of what I wanted God to be like. And I had lots of problem texts. <laughs> to fear God means to believe all that he reveals to be true of himself and not project on him what we want God to be. To fear God also means to hear all that he has made, all that he says about what he has made. And by speaking about what He has made, all the earth that he has made, all the inhabitants of the earth that he has made, he is revealing what he is like. He is full of authority, power, wisdom, that is without limit. I hope you believe that. But to to fear God ultimately for us in the New Testament, from the New Testament perspective, it means to believe what God says to us through the Son. It means to believe what God says to us in the Gospel. As on the Mount Transfiguration, when Jesus appeared in, in a glorious way to the disciples along with Moses and Elijah, and the voice came, this is my Son, Listen to him. Because it is in the Son, it is in the voice of the Son to us that God most fully answers the question, what am I like? And we'll be most made (laughs) idol-proof when we hear the voice of God speaking to us through the Son. I love you. I will keep you. I will keep you forever. I will forgive you. I will give you a new identity. I will take away all of your fears of rejection and, and all of those things. Healed in the gospel. May God get our attention, particularly in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord God Almighty, I pray that you would heal us, Lord. pray that you would heal our ears from any deafness that we might have. And I pray that you would heal our heart from any foolishness, stubbornness, resistance, and all of the self-harm, all of the exhaustion that we that we bring upon ourselves. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for your words. May we, we, may we never be lost understanding its significance and its treasure and its value. And may we never Be concerned that the world is not having enough influence on us, that we are not as normal as we need to be, that we are not in line with the customs and the practices of the world. But I pray that that your voice would truly be seen as a great mercy to us. May we experience one fear. Pray it in Jesus' name.